The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, uh, a couple of quick announcements, and then we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3, finish off that chapter today. Um, While I'm going through these announcements, if you have any empty seats near you, if you could scoot to where those are on an end somewhere, and that way people are in the sun. Hey, people in the sun, we love you. Everybody say hi to people in the sun. Okay. People that are about to be in the sun, we're praying for you. But, um, but here's the deal. If at any point you're like, it's hot, the sun's here, Jeff doesn't seem like he's even close to being done, whatever the case may be, you are more than welcome to get up, move forward, and have a seat. This is actually our whole ploy to finally get you guys to sit in the front. You know what I mean? Um, but listen, there are some empty seats. There's two there, two there, two there. There's some in the bleachers over there. There's empty seats around. So if you think the sun's going to be too hot, move. Um, but I'm going to try to go intentionally a little bit short today because we have baptisms and all that stuff. So just letting you know. But if it gets hot, just move. You will not um, distract me. And you might distract people around you, which they might be thankful for. So uh, a couple of announcements. First of all, Kids Wing numbering system is going to be sent via text message. So have your phones handy um, on vibrate or something. Or if you have a funny ringtone, you can let us all in on that. Um, second of all, family camp signups end today. That's August 18th through 21st up at uh, Lake of the Woods. We were just up there this week with a staff retreat. I cannot tell you, that's like my, that's the best lake around here, right? I mean, it just is. That place is unbelievable. So uh, really encourage you guys to, to sign up and join us up there for boating and swimming and camping and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be great. And then finally, this week is our last uh, First Wednesday service. Um, This summer, due to construction and things that are going on inside the school buildings, um, we've been doing a uh, kind of a once a month Wednesday night service with barbecue um, or whatever. It's been catered by Sweet Tea Express, which if you've had it, can we get an amen for that food? Amen, man. Holy cow. Uh, Potluck got nothing on that. Um, It's just amazing. And it's going to be this week. Food is free donation only. All you have to do is just come make a donation if you want, if you can. And Sweet Tea Express has been donating the proceeds for each one of these to a different uh, group or organization. I don't remember what this month is. Do you you know, Aaron? Don't remember, but it's good people that deserve it, I'm sure. Um, Not named Jeff Hensley. So uh, if you would do that, that would be awesome. And we're going to be just worshiping and fellowshipping. There's going to be games and stuff for the kids. It's going to be a great time. It's this Wednesday. This is our last one because the first Wednesday in September, we're relaunching. uh, Going into our fall season, we're relaunching. um, The Awanas are kicking off again. And then our Wednesday night Bible study, which this year will meet in the hub. Not over here, but our uh, adult Wednesday night through the Bible study will be over in the hub. And we're doing a through the Bible. Bible series where each night that we meet, we'll take one whole book of the Bible. And the goal of that is not so much study and learn that whole book, but to go through how to study that book, how to read that book, themes to look for in that book, purpose behind that book, and kind of touch on some of those major themes so that as you are reading the word on your own, you're seeing these things for yourself as we're going through. So that starts on September 7th, but first Wednesday service is this week, and it starts, food starts at 6, 
Six o'clock is when the food starts serving. So make sure you get here. There's ice cream I even heard, I think. Our ice cream sandwich is something. Well, there is now anyway. So uh, make sure you join us and uh, looking forward to that. Um, now, uh, in, in keeping with our Christian calisthenics and fitness plan, if you guys remember last week, we talked about the fact that we're just in, in wanting to honor the scripture, to not take for granted the scripture and to join in with the tradition of the church for many centuries before us. Um, I'd like, if you would, to turn Turn to Philippians chapter 3 and stand with me as we read the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, stick a hand up nice and high. There's some guys that have one for you. There's one over here on the bleachers. Um, just wave it around as if you just don't care, and um, they'll make sure you get one of those. And uh, what we're going to do is join in with the old church tradition. If you weren't here last week, let me tell you how this works. I'm going to read the Word to you, and I want to encourage you, read it with me. Don't just la-di-da, but like, read it. Chew on it. Think about what it is that we're reading. And then be blessed by just the, if nothing else, the gift that it is that we have this. Because the early church, they couldn't afford it. There weren't printing presses. They didn't have all these different. So they would gather together for the corporate reading of the word together where they may only have one copy amongst the entire community. And they were so in such awe and reverence and fear of the word of God that they would stand together the pastor would read the word of God to them, and then he would, when he finished reading that section, he would say, this is the word of the, God, the, word of the Lord. And then the congregation, out of awe, reverence, respect, and just gratitude for being able to hear the word of God, would respond with? Thanks be to God. These guys know. So uh, follow these guys as they follow Christ. So this is what we're going to do. We're in Philippians chapter 3, and we're beginning this week in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those whose walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my crown, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the privilege of being able to study it. And God, we stand here before you, your people, desiring that we would stand on the foundation of your word, your gospel, your instruction. But God, may the posture of our hearts, Lord, not be haughty and proud, but may we be humbled before your word. May your word achieve its purpose in our lives. May you change us by your word. I pray, God, that you would meet each person here where they're at. Lord, will you give comfort to those who need comfort, encouragement to those who need encouragement, correction to those who need correction, instruction to those who seek your will. And I pray, God, that the end result would be we would be more like you, having spent this time in your word. So, Lord, will you apply this to the soil of our soul? May it produce fruit. And God, I ask your grace, Lord, as the one charged with teaching your word this morning, Lord, I pray and beg of you that your spirit would move and speak to your people. 
through me, but in spite of me. And Lord, as we often pray, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Philippians 3, verse 17 through 4, verse 1. If you're wondering why I'm stealing a verse from chapter 4 to go into chapter 3, it's because the chapters are made up. Do you know that? When the Bible was written, they didn't write it. Paul wasn't in jail going, chapter 4, verse 1. He just wrote a letter. And translators through the years have sought to break it down into segment sections for the benefit of our being able to organize and study and learn. Um, And usually they did a great job. I think in this case they did a bad job. I don't understand for the life of me why verse 1 is where it is. It seems to fit perfectly in what's before. But we're skipping on into verse 1. That's where we're at. We'll tackle verse 4 next week. So what we're going to be talking about here a little bit is God's will. I used to do college ministry before I was a lead pastor. I did college ministry at a different church here locally when I was at Applegate Christian Fellowship. And and I was kind of charged with that group that was like just out of high school till 30-ish. And uh, as you guys know, that, that, first of all, I should tell you, that is my favorite age to lead. It really and truly is. Um, In fact, uh, many of the people that were part of, I can see, even as I'm looking across this, this audience right now, I can see people that were in that Bible study that, that I've just been a part of their lives and been able to get to know them over years that are here today. Um, it's just been a privilege being able to know those guys and watch how they grew into godliness and how God uh, moved them into families and fatherhood and motherhood and all these things. It's my favorite group to lead because there tends to be a zealousness and a hunger and a freedom to be able to pursue the things of the Lord. And, and one of the things that would be the most common question that I would always get when I was working with that sort of college age group was always about God's will. I'm going to try to walk around a little bit more because some of you have obstructed seating. You should get your refund on those tickets, by the way. But I'll try to move around a little bit more. But one of the questions I would get most often when I was working with college kids would always be, how do I discover God's will for my life? How do I find what God wants me to do? I'm looking for God's will, and I want to, I, I, they would genuinely, like, I want to seek God's will. And, and my approach to that then is a little bit different than what my approach to that would be now. So if you were in that group, I just want you to know, I'm sorry, um, but I have a whole new plan. No, uh, th- this is the way I would tend to approach it first, right out the gate. I, I would come to them and say, okay, the first thing we need to do, we just need to pray first. Like to seek God's will without seeking God seems silly, amen? So first we just want to pray. We know that the Holy Spirit is living and active and moving, and so we want the Holy Spirit then to to be living, active, and moving. We want Him to lead us and guide us. We want God to reveal Himself and His will to us. So the first thing, if you want to know God's will, before you ask the pastor, ask God. Go to the Lord, ask God to reveal His will. Second, be in the Word. I mean, a lot of times we want this new, fresh revelation when God has given us his revelation. So I would say, be in the word, be reading the word. And maybe sometimes it wasn't the best or most healthiest approach to the word, but I would even encourage them, and just as you're reading, are there things that are just resonating with your soul? Almost this, uh, I won't even go there, we'll talk about that some other time. But just this idea, just read the word, study the word, and just see if the Lord's speaking to you, guiding you, giving you direction, and then discover your gifting. 
Find out what God has blessed you with, what he's equipped you to do, what he's called you, the the talents, the gifts, the abilities he's given you, and and find areas where your desire and that gifting and God's leading all just seem to intersect. Find that area, and, and that's all good stuff, amen? Those are all good things to do. We should be in the Word. We should pray. All those things are great, great things. But here's the the problem with that sort of approach is that when that's our primary approach to finding out what God's will is for our life, it can accidentally paint God's will as some sort of mythical quest that we have to discover. Like God has somewhere out there put His will for you, and it's your job to find it. So we got to go look for that and see if we can discover God's will like we're looking for the new world in a boat or something like that. And, and that's just, here, here's, what I, here's what I understand and here's kind of the way I see things now. God's made his will to us pretty plain. I think God has absolutely revealed his will to us. Think, think of this, in Romans eight twenty nine it says this. For those whom he foreknew he predestined, to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen to that again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the will of God for your life. Now, God might direct you to certain things. He might call you to a certain career. He might have a specific mission or task or something for you to accomplish. But the overriding purpose, if someone says, what is God's will for my life? This is God's will, to save you and change you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and to bring you into the brotherhood of believers, to make you and other Christians like you like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That is the will of God in your life. And we go, well, I know that. Yeah, but everything else is secondary to that. doesn't mean it's not important, but everything else is secondary to that. And, so, and we can get into this place where we want this new revelation. No, but I want this new revelation. And I, I think the word would call us back to go, yeah, but are we doing the first one? Are we pursuing what God has made clear for our lives? Are we seeking that? Because personally, I believe that if we are pursuing, as Paul says, pursuing Christ, pursuing Christ's likeness, God will lead us to where he wants to lead us. But his will for us is made clear. He wants to make you like Jesus. That's God's plan for your life. That at the end of your life, you would look way more like Jesus than you do right now. This is God's will So don't take my word for it, though. Let's look at Paul. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ and author of most of the New Testament, is the author of the letter here, Philippians. And Paul is in prison, in a Roman prison, not knowing what his future looks like, and he's writing to a church that he planted some four or five years previously. He'd come into this area, planted the church, moved on to plant churches in different areas after the leadership of that church had risen up. And now he's in prison and he's writing back to this church to encourage them in their walk, to encourage them along that way, to encourage them as they seek to pursue and follow Christ in their own lives. And so think about his train of thought. If you've been tracking with us any length of time on this, Paul comes in and first he makes it really, really clear he has an abundant love for the people of Philippi. He loves them. In chapter one, he almost embarrassingly gushes over them, just declaring how proud of them, how much he loves them over and over. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I pray for you, I love you. 
And then he moves into this kind of exhortation. It's not correction. This is the only letter that Paul writes to any church that he doesn't like chew them out or chastise them for something, but he is encouraging them. He's, if you will, wooing them to something even greater. Like he's a father who sees his children and he's proud of them and he loves them, but he also doesn't want them to stay where they are now. He wants to see them grow into maturity. And so he writes this letter and the thing that he puts out, one of the most memorable, most important sections of the whole book in Philippians chapter two, he says, look, this is the mindset you need to have. It's the mindset of Christ. Be like Christ and think like Christ in this way. Consider others better than yourselves. Humble yourselves. Don't esteem position for even Christ himself. He set aside his position. He set aside his glory, his power, his preeminence. And he humbled himself, became human, became a servant to us, went to the cross for us that God might glorify him. So, so you too. Consider others better than yourselves. This walk of humility that serves one another and loves one another. He calls them to this. And then he upholds some examples of that. Timothy and Epaphroditus and says, hey, these guys, these are gospel examples of what that looks like in your life. And then he moves into chapter 3 and he talks about his righteousness by faith in Christ. He talks about the fact that, man, I had this resume If at the end of our life we were to say, hey, how did you do in following Christ? What does your resume look like? Man, I've got a resume to be proud of because I was this and this and this and I did this and this and this and all this external righteousness, good deeds, all this stuff. Man, I did it all, but it's garbage. It's excrement compared to the true goal, the thing that we're really after, and that is Jesus himself. And man, when you read chapter 3 and you read that whole thing, you see this pressing, this constant pushing, chase Jesus, pursue Jesus. The goal is Jesus, more Jesus. And he even says that, look, I'm not even going to stand on the things of my past. I'm not going to stand on victories from yesterday. I'm not going to plant my feet and say, look what I've done. I will forget the things that lie behind me and I will press on. And it's even a violent word can also be translated persecute. But what he means there is I'm keeping, I will keep on pounding. I'm going to keep on grinding. I am pursuing Jesus. And I'm not there yet, but I'm not done yet either. And I'm going to keep chasing Jesus. Now, this is dad writing kids, right? Keep going. Keep going. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to keep going. And then look what he says in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep imitating me. Keep your eyes on me and follow those who have this kind of example. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, others like him. Watch us as we chase, pursue, keep chasing Christ. Now there's a a couple of things that are somewhat obvious but really important that we nail down here out of this verse. The first is this. It's probably the most obvious. Paul's saying, hey, follow those who ferociously pursue Christ. That's pretty obvious. That's what he's saying, right? Church, this is what I want. This humility, this this way of living, this gospel-centered way of living, I want you to live it out, and here's how you live it out. Look at people that are pursuing Jesus, whose goal is Jesus, who keep pounding and grinding, pursuing Christ's likeness, and follow those people. That's really, really important. 
Here, here's what you got to know, man. We've lost this in so many areas of American individualistic Christianity and churchdom. But listen, you are not intended to be a Christian on your own, ever. We've got this belief that salvation is an individual issue. And in some ways, we, the church, have even bought into th- uh, theories and teachings and, and philosophies like separation of church and state or keep your faith out of work. And we've separated into this little personal thing that affects nothing else. But salvation was never personal alone. It's communal. It's a family. He makes it clear, I am calling to me a people, a family. You're part of a community. And the idea is this. All the teachings, all the instruction, all the letters, those are all great, but, but Paul's saying we need to see these things lived out in an earthly experience as well. Like the, the lives of Christians around you are intended to put meat on the bones of the theology that we study. And so he's imploring us, listen, individual, each of you, listen. You should find someone whose zealousness for Jesus and faith for Jesus and desire to be like Jesus is almost embarrassing to you. And I don't mean you're embarrassed of them. I mean it makes you almost ashamed of yourself and chase them. Follow them. Learn from them. Go after them. Follow them. The the, the word here when he says in verse 17, he says this example you have in us, the word example, it's actually imprint. Or another way of saying it is a mark left by a blow. Like if someone smacked you right across the face and it left a a handprint of there, or if you were getting, I don't know, silly putty and cartoon comic strips, whatever. We don't really have, kids don't even know what that is anymore. They're like putting it on their iPad. It doesn't work. (laughs) Um, Something else then, whatever it is. But the idea is that there is a pushing in and it leaves an imprint. And so too, Paul is saying, listen, even he used the words last week that it's almost a, vi- almost a violent pursuit, a relentless pursuit of Jesus. And he's saying, and find those who can make an impact into your life that makes you look more like Jesus because they are striving and trying and grinding to look more like Jesus. This is what we are all called to do. We don't want to do that naturally because we would rather look like the one who has it all together. But he's calling us to humbly submit ourselves to other people, consider others better than themselves, and per, or pursue Christ. Now, here, here's the key. Listen. To do that, perfection can't be the goal. Like when you're looking for someone to follow, when you're looking for an example to follow, the gospel makes it clear perfection can't be the goal. So he's not saying go find someone that never messes up. Probably a better person to find and follow is the one who is willing and open about their mess ups, but because they turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, they're quick to repent and to learn from those mistakes and to share those mistakes and experiences with others. Someone who's not holding on to a godly resume trying to stand and say, see how great I am, but someone who, like Paul, would say, I haven't obtained it yet. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm trying and I'm striving, but I'm not there yet. Paul says, find that guy and follow them. Let them press into your life. This is just wisdom. We don't like it, but it's just wisdom. I used the example last week of fly fishing, and I told you guys how much I love to fish, and you guys know that, especially if you follow me on Instagram or any of that junk. But I spent so much time when I was learning to fly fish going up here to the Rogue River and catching nothing all by myself. 
I spent so much time doing that. But it wasn't until I was like, I, I really want to learn this. I really have a desire for this. I really have a passion for this. I'm going to find people that actually know what they're doing, and I'm going to learn from them. So I found people that were skilled, qualified anglers. Some of the guys are in this church. Guides. Guys that know what they're doing, and I would pester them to no end. Can we go fishing? Can we go fishing? Can we go, can we go fishing? What about Saturday? Are you off Saturday? Can we go Friday? How about Friday morning? I'll learn to row some if that's what I have to do. But can I go fishing? Can I go? And I would pester them to no end, but I would do what they did. And then after time spent with them, I would go to the river on my own. And I would go, okay, he stood here. I used to stand, well, everywhere but here. And, and over time, I learned. And I started to figure that out. Now I get the opportunity to go and teach other people that. That's the idea. This humility that says, I don't care how long I've been following Jesus, I don't have it figured out yet, and I need to follow those who do. Paul, who got saved in the most miraculous way you can imagine, face to face with Jesus, is 30 years later saying, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm pressing on. Everyone needs a pastor. Everyone needs someone that they can follow that can imprint into their lives. And I'm so thankful for the humble, godly men that the Lord has blessed us with at this church. I'm going to pick on one right now. I didn't ask for his permission because he probably would have been humble enough to say no. And forgiveness is easier to get than permission sometimes. Um, we don't teach that to your kids, don't worry. But it's true. So, uh, so th- there's, a, there's a great example of this that came to me this morning. And it's a, a good friend of mine who I've known for many, many years. And he's a leader here at this church. His name's Henry Sullivan. Henry is a guy who... Not ashamed of his past. I mean, ashamed of the sins of his past, but will use that to show the glory of God of what God's done in his life. And Henry has been teaching Sunday school. He's worked in the mission field. Man, he has been out there witnessing to transients along the river, like doing whatever he can to pursue Christ and to share Christ with others. Henry is an elder at our church now. He's a shepherding elder at our church. So he's at a place now where he could go, I'm the example I don't need to follow anybody else, just follow me. And yet I know from personal experience and conversations with Henry that he actively and intentionally seeks out men of wisdom that he respects to say, hey, can we just get together once a month and just talk about the things that are going on in my life because I want to be submitted to someone. I want to grow. I want someone else to be able to look into my life and speak with truth to me about the things that are going on. And so he totally humbles himself and says, hey, I may be an elder, but I'm still a disciple. I may be charged with making disciples at the church, but I'm still one myself, and I want to continue to grow, and I want to continue to learn. And then here's the beauty of this. In just a little while, when we're doing baptism, Henry is going to be getting in the water with me to baptize his son. That's the goal. We follow and lead. That's the model that's been laid out for us. I mean, so many places people are freaking out today, like, why are our young people leaving the church? Why do young people go out of youth group, go to college, and then stop going to church? Why do they not take their faith seriously? Even if they would check a box on a survey saying Christian, why don't they live as if that's important to them? And there's been studies done. There's a book called Almost Christian that is a sociological study trying to figure out the answer to that question. And the overwhelming number one reason that they found that kids, when they go away from home, have a tendency to not take their faith seriously, the number one influence is that of their parents. And the quote by Christopher Smith in this is, parents get what they are. They get what they are. 
If they have a dad who doesn't take their faith seriously, then that father is not imprinting into their son the importance of such faith. And so if a kid doesn't see dad furiously chasing and pursuing Christ's likeness, why in the world would we expect that when they leave and go to college and have everything in the world laid out in front of them, why would we expect them to do that? They've never even seen it. That's why it's so important to put meat on the bones of our faith, to lead our young people and to lead one another. And to do that, you're going to have to be following someone because you are inevitably going to run into questions that you don't know the answers to. Or you're going to fail and need some kind of gospel person to speak into your life and say, it's okay, let's go to Jesus. We are designed to lead and follow, always. Which leads to the next point. If the first point of this verse is follow those who are ferociously following Christ, then the second point would be be the kind of person that others can follow. I mean, right there in the Great Commission, it says that we're to go to all the earth, that we're to take the gospel to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, teaching them to be obedient. That's the idea. That we follow others, but we need to be leading others. There's an old poem that says this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. And men read what you write, distorted or true. So what is the gospel according to you? There's so much truth in this. Like We need to find those to pursue who are pursuing Christ. And at the same time, we need to be striving to be the kind of person that can make a gospel imprint on those who are following us. We follow and lead. And we, we do this not faking perfection for our kids, but modeling humility, like Paul talks about in chapter 2. Modeling repentance. Modeling a dependence on the gospel and not on our track record. And leading those who follow us to Jesus. This is what the church is called to. Now, Paul then gives us the opposite of that. Verse 18 through 19 says, For many of whom I have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So if the example, Paul says, hey, Follow those whose eyes are fixed on Jesus. And if you're following me, he said, hey, fix your eyes on me. And those that give this example, follow those whose eyes are on Jesus. And then the opposite of that, he says, is the person whose eyes, whose target is their belly. Now, I know that may not be fair because some of us have a larger target than others. But that's not exactly what Paul means by that. The belly means their appetite. He's saying this. If we're to follow those whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, who's willing to give up everything else, then don't follow those whose eyes are on everything else in the world around them. And he says of them, these people are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, it's really easy to look at this and go, this is Christian versus non-Christian. He's saying follow Christians, but the people who are non-Christians whose God is their belly, don't follow them. It's not what he's saying. He's talking about people inside the church. And he's saying there are people inside the church who may make a claim for Christ, but they live as if their God is their belly. There's those who are furiously pursuing Jesus, but there's others that will pursue anything else. And they're enemies of the cross of Christ because the idea here is that Jesus, who gave everything for the sake of you and I, is being compared against those who aren't giving of anything. They're just looking to take, 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 consume, consume. 
Jesus who had such a passion for you that he laid himself aside on the cross versus those who live for every passion that they have. He says those are enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross is a picture that Christ gave up everything for you. And so Paul says, I give everything up. I will forget everything that lies behind me. I count all of it as garbage for the sake of Christ. And that's the model that we're to follow. But here's the key with that. Some people have said to me before, man, why are you so hard on like the prosperity theologians and TBN and all those kind of things? Well, besides their bad hairdos, the reason that I'm really hard on that is this. They, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're preaching a gospel that is focused on all these things in the world around. And maybe you go, well, but they talk about Jesus. Okay, as a footnote in the last 10 seconds of a message, how could that square with scripture that says Christ is the whole point? And so they will lead people into an appetite for worldly pleasures. That's idolatry, not Christianity. That's seeking things from God rather than seeking God himself. And you go, but they're still, they're brothers. Well, yes, Paul is the guy who says, hey, as long as Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. But in the same letter, he says, do not follow those whose appetites is their own belly. Do not follow those who aren't chasing Jesus, but they're chasing other things. You need to pursue those people. But if there's a thing that I could be convicted by for sure on that, it's this. He says it with a tear in his eye. And I don't know that I've always been guilty of that. This is what I mean. I'll give you an example using someone other than myself, which is not humble at all. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, th- there was a conversation at a Gospel Coalition conference that I was at a few years ago. There was a, a really popular book that had come out um, that was really attacking the reality of hell. And they were trying to prove that hell doesn't really exist and that a God who loves would never send someone into something like that. Um, and it became a really big deal because the guy who wrote this book, I won't even give his name publicity, the guy who wrote this book at the time was a big voice in Christianity and a lot of people were coming to it. And so at the Gospel Coalition, because that was a really hot topic at the time, there was a panel of pastors discussing this. And I was in this small group thing and they were all talking about it. And James McDonald was on stage, great pastor from Chicago. Um, also Alistair Begg, one of my favorite pastors and leaders on the face of the earth from Cleveland was there and some other men. And they were talking. James McDonald, you guys know him. He's a brash man. He can just get after it, likes to yell a lot. Like, I don't yell at all compared to James McDonald. And, and, and so he's just like going after it about, this is what the Bible says. And if we don't talk about hell, we're setting people up. Because the reality is that these people are marching themselves towards hell with a smile. And they don't even get it. And we've got to talk about this. Hell exists. Hell is real. And then Alistair Begg came in with this calm Scottish voice. And he said, ah... But can you say that without a tear in your eye? And it got really quiet. It was just the understanding that, look, we can, we can walk right away from the very kind of humility that Paul calls us to and end up in an us-against-them mentality and forget the reality that these things are real. He says their end is destruction. Their way of life is destruction. Their God is leading them to destruction. They're headed towards eternal destruction. And the very thought of such a thing should break our hearts. That people that we know and people we don't know have been fooled by the devil. And are following passions that will lead them to their end. This stuff's real, church. You know that? It's real. And it should break our hearts when we see that. 
And so there's our comparison. Those who follow Jesus, those who follow everything else. And then Paul concludes and says this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lower body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Church, let me take you away from the heavy somber for just a moment and think about this. He's coming. Have you thought about that today? He's coming. He's coming. There comes a day when Jesus Christ himself in the flesh will be here. He'll be here. Everything will change. And everything in the world right now will look completely different. And I'm not just talking about the beauty of creation. I'm talking about everything. Businesses, governments, economies, all those things will look differently. Everything everyone lives for will change in an instant the moment that Jesus Christ is here in reality. But he's coming. And not only that, when he arrives, when he's here, when we see him face to face, he's going to perform one of the biggest miracles he's ever performed. It says that the same power that makes him Lord over all things is going to be enacted on us and it's going to change you to make you just like him. That's a miracle. You know you. You know you, I know me, that I could be made like God. The thing that, that Satan tried to trick Adam and Eve in the garden, by the way, right? You can be like God. It was always his plan, but through his power, not us. And in that day, the skies are going to peel open, and you can argue your pre-trib, post-trib, all mill, I don't care. He's coming, he'll get here when he gets here, and when he gets here, everything's going to change. So shouldn't we live with that in mind? Like, shouldn't we live towards that? Or should we just live as if, well, it'll get here, but in the meantime, I got grass to mow and it's hot today. Like, everything in our lives should be oriented around that truth. Everything in our lives should be oriented around that truth. And I, I don't mean getting all uh, uh, eschatology weird. Where we just walk around with Bibles, newspapers, and websites going, oh, look, that's probably who the Antichrist is. Let's figure all that. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about Paul's calling us to live what he just described, humbly pursuing Jesus and sharing Jesus with others, following others who follow Jesus and leading people ourselves. That's how we live because the master's coming. He's coming. He's going to be here. He will be here. And that's the beauty. Everything we experience. People in the sun. Can I get an amen, people in the sun? Remember how all winter long we couldn't wait till the sun to get here? And now it's here, but it's a little too hot, right? You know what that is? That is God graciously reminding you, hey, there's glory in summer. It's beautiful outside, but hey, not yet. Don't get your joy out of this. It's not yet. You're living for something different. You're living for heaven. You're not living for it. Here we are in political season, flags waving, all those things. Should we participate in our government? Yes. Does the Bible call us to participate, pray for, and be involved in the government around us? Absolutely. Do we have hope in our government? Are you kidding me? Have you seen what's going on around right now? 
Like, if there was ever a time that it should be easy to say, surely we have no real hope in our government, it's right now. But here's the thing. Sometimes our mentality can go, what we need is a Reagan. What we need is a Kennedy, Lincoln, whoever your person is. We need Jesus. Yeah, very well done. And I don't know, I don't know about you, I would be totally down with Jesus in 2016. But he's not here yet. And so to that end, we pursue. We chase. Paul's in prison. If there was ever a guy that could go, well, I, I basically wrote the New Testament, pretty much planted um, all the churches, um, and now I'm in jail. Not a whole lot I can do here. I can't blog. Like, I just, I guess I'm done. And he's like, uh-uh. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. Why? Because I'm waiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's going to transform me. Jesus is coming. All of our lives should be reoriented around that. That is the thing that we put our eyes on. At this time, Sam's going to come forward and lead us in some music. And we're going to take opportunity to celebrate... And as a family, welcome those who have made that decision. Those who have said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Those who have said, I want to pursue Christ. I'm done with the pleasures of this world. I want Jesus. They're going to be coming forward here, hopping into the waters of baptism, obediently following what God has called us to do and being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the opportunity is here for you too. Now, I could sell this really easy, especially people in the sun. Water's cool. If there was ever a time to sell it, I could sell it right now. But people of the earth, the water's cool because it's a reminder that Christ is coming to make all things new. And he wants to change you. And he wants to lead you. And he wants to be your God. Not just because he's prideful, but because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And anything else you are putting yourself into will lead you to destruction. Only Jesus can save. But he's also not a demigod standing up there going, do what I say, do what I say, this, this, this. Though he's going, no, 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 no. I humbled myself for you. That's the gospel that we celebrate here. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person here that hasn't fallen short of God's glory and sinned. And yet Christ who knew this, God who knew this, enacted a plan from day one that said, I'll go to the cross and I'll pay the price for them. I'll humble myself. I'll step out of the most comfortable seat ever in glory. I'll become a poor son of a carpenter. And I'll go through the most painful, devastating experience the world has ever seen. And I will do it for the joy set before me. What joy? That I'm calling a people to myself. And I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to put my spirit in them. They're going to live following me, sharing the gospel with those around me. And then one day I'm coming again. And when they see me, they're going to be just like me. And everything will be different. Glory will be finally evident. It won't just be a guess or a, oh, that looks glorious. Nothing compares to the glory of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you today, if you've never put your faith in Christ, will you come down here? There's going to be some elders here that want to talk with you and pray with you. And then if, 
if then or those of you that have never done this, maybe you've, you've put your faith in Christ, but you haven't been baptized. That's just a weirdo religiosity thing, getting in water. Who does such a thing? Followers of Jesus do this. This is what he has called us to do. It is a mark of obedience. It is a mark of membership into the body of Christ. It is a public declaration of the faith that's going on inside. And he's saying, hey, follow me. In the same way Christ was laid in the tomb, you're laid into the waters of baptism, but in the same way that Christ didn't stay there, neither do we. I always love telling that to kids. Do you think I'm going to leave you in the water? They're like, I hope not. Christ rose again. It says we are baptized in him. We are somehow joined in with him through this. So the waters of baptism will be here. And then the rest of you, you celebrate as people make this decision with a tear in our eye for those who refuse, but a joy joining in with the shouts in heaven as people become part of the body of Christ. At a certain point here in a few minutes, don't worry, people, the sun. I, that's a good name for all of us, actually, but Sam's gonna cut some of you loose, but the rest of you, if you don't have anywhere to be, I encourage you, come down here. Join around the family of Christ and let's celebrate a very good thing. God, we commit this time to you. We ask that your spirit would move in this place and convict hearts. I pray, God, you would embolden people to step forward. I pray, God, you would, by your grace, call people to repentance, that your spirit would fill lives, that you would save even in this room. And I pray, God, that your spirit would empower us to join with the angels in heaven, celebrating those who have joined our family. And may all of it, Lord, come out of a joyous celebration for the beauty of what you have done for us. You are so good, Lord. You've saved a wretch like me, and we humbly thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come to the waters, all who are thirsty. And come and drink and come to the table all who are thirsty and come and feast and those who are needy those who are needy and come and see Come to the water, all who are thirsty, and come and drink, and come to the table. Hey there, young man. Can you tell us your name? Ian. Ian, are you here today to be baptized because you put your faith in Jesus to save you from sin? Yes. You may enter the waters of baptism. And come to the table, all who are thirsty, and come and feast. And come to the table, all who are hungry, and come and feast.
Can you tell us your name? Yes, it's Rebecca. Rebecca, are you here today because you've put your faith in Jesus to pay for sin and because you want to follow him? Yes. You may enter the waters of baptism. So, oh, my soul, if there's for you, only you, in so, Hey there, young man. Can you tell us your name? Zach. 
Zach, are you here today because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ to pay for your sin and because you want to follow him? Yes. You may enter the waters of baptism. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be seen when the evening comes. It bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His only name. It seems like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship Your only name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship your holy name. Yes, sing like never before. Oh, my soul, now worship your holy name. I will worship your holy name. And I will worship your holy Hey there, young lady. Can you tell us your name? Avery. Hi, Avery. Are you here today because you've put your faith in Jesus to pay for your sin and because you want to follow him? Mm-hmm. You may enter the waters of baptism. And so the poor and powerless In all the lost and lonely And all the thieves will come confess And know that you are holy And know that you are holy And so we'll sing out Ends all the feeling worthy. 
It's all heard with nothing less We'll know that you are holy We'll know that you are holy It's all we'll sing out Hallelujah We will cry out Hallelujah It's all we'll sing out Hallelujah We will cry out take just a moment now to give thanks to God for those that he's called unto himself. Father, we thank you for those that have come forward today to put their faith in you, to publicly declare that you alone have the power to save, that you alone are a savior. God, thank you for their desire to follow you. And Lord, we pray that you would meet them with the power of the Holy Spirit and that all throughout life you would continue to call them. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is powerful and effective for salvation, that it's sufficient. So God, we commit these people into your care, Lord, and we ask that you would show us as a body how we can come around them, how we can supply whatever tools they need and whatever ways we can be an encouragement to their faith and we thank you for those who've come to you today in jesus name amen let's celebrate church